0: Hello everyone, and welcome to Thrifters Villa, a podcast for resellers and entrepreneurs. I'm Daniela,
1: And I'm Lori, and today our friend Laura, also known as Laura Von V, is with us on the podcast.
0: Yay! Laura! So Laura is predominantly a vintage clothing seller and models all her vintage finds, showing off her pretty amazing photography
1: skills. Uh, Let's not forget, Laura also has a YouTube channel where she discusses fashion trends and how to use vintage finds to replicate those trends we see on the runway. She also teaches the community so much about vintage clothing brands.
0: All right, everyone, grab your seat at the table. We will meet you there.
1: Hey, Laura, welcome to our podcast. Welcome. Hello, hello. What a fun intro. I was like, oh, wow, I do do all that. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, well, we are so happy to have you here. And we have so many questions for you, burning questions. Um, But maybe we can just start a little bit with your backstory. If you want to let us know how you got into reselling, all that fun stuff, what your inspiration was, where you're at right now.
2: Sure. Um, well, I got into reselling similar to, um, oh, actually I shouldn't even say that. I mean, I guess I started when I was working at Nordstrom years and years and years ago, and I just needed some extra, you know, side income, all that good stuff. Um, but also at the same time, things like uh, nasty gal and like the vintage community and all that kind of stuff was really popping off. So I decided to start like a little vintage store and it just kind of grew from there. And then I discovered the reselling community probably like three or four years later. And it just introduced me to a completely different world where I was like, oh, oh, okay. There's like volume that you can do and all that kind of stuff. And uh, yeah, I discovered the bins and then, you know, it was just all snowball effect yeah <laughs>
0: <laughs> I feel like that happens to so many of us where it's like oh I'm just selling a few things for extra money and yeah. then yeah going and then you find things on Instagram then you find a whole community on Instagram then a community on YouTube and you're like wait people do this for a living oh, yeah. wait, oh God, let me research this and see how I can make this more sustainable for myself
2: exactly I did get a little lucky though I had a family member that was also reselling so I kind of got to like see a little bit of what they were doing and kind of grow from there so my uh, my process did go a little bit quicker than than some people but yeah
0: oh oh, sorry I'm sorry it's okay
2: (laughs) go ahead um I want to say I I would have to look at my Etsy store when I opened it but I'm like seven or eight years maybe even a little bit longer yeah
0: long time I was just going to say when you so when you were in Nordstrom did you immediately go into vintage selling or were you dabbling in modern clothing too at the time since you were working in Nordstrom and you know
2: I different. immediately went into vintage. So I opened up my Etsy store first. Um or well I opened Etsy and eBay at the same time. I started at, like at the tail end of when like auctions were even still a big thing. Like everybody was only doing auctions on yeah. eBay and like selling their vintage that way and uh and then everybody started transitioning like maybe even like 6 months into me reselling. Everybody was like leave eBay, go to Etsy. Mm-hmm. So I got, I got kind of lucky in the sense that I got to get to know platforms on a different level. Yeah. Like most people are afraid to sign up for Etsy and I'm like, well, Etsy is kind of where I learned and same with eBay.
0: Yeah, I definitely, um, I had an Etsy store, um, probably eight or nine years ago and I would sell, so I used to make jewelry. I used to sell my jewelry on there. And then I also sold a lot of my wedding things on there so I made like my wedding cake stand I made um this board that I had I sold everything on Etsy that was wedding related and it just flew like that was the platform that I used to resell that stuff and eBay I've had eBay store since I was 16 years old so i had eBay for a long time but yeah
2: you know you know the <laughs> yeah,
0: old eBay so did Lori yeah. Lori had an eBay
1: from back in the day as well oh nice yeah. I know they sent me the um what i got i got some sort of a coupon that i didn't use because i was it was it was just their 25th anniversary and they were like thank you so much my bit my first big sale was on ebay i was living in san francisco and i was selling mary kay cosmetics and i was very pregnant and we were moving across the country and i was like i'm not doing this when i get home and jays like well there's this thing called ebay we can try to sell it on ebay i think it was like a cashier's check or something and we sold my all of my inventory, um, on eBay waited for the check to clear. And that was it. That was like our first big thing that was Anthony was born in 99. So, um, we were probably on it for a little time before that, but yeah, it was early 1999 or late 1998 when we did that. But, um, yeah, i mostly dabbled in it, but yeah, eBay, eBay, eBay. No, I always
2: love that. hearing everybody's origin stories like we're all yeah. like superheroes and we have I like know, a horrible right? like backstory <laughs>
0: <laughs> no I definitely sold on craigslist a lot too that was like my go-to was craigslist when that was oh, my- nice yeah. If I
2: didn't live in a big city, I think I'd maybe feel a little bit more
1: comfortable with selling yeah. Craigslist and like yeah, Craigslist marketplace. has sketchy through, through yeah, time. Absolutely. Um, a bit. Bit. Well, and now I think that Facebook marketplace is such a, a comfort, comfortable place for people to sell. I mean, it mm. kind of started on Craigslist and shifted over to
0: mm.
1: Facebook marketplace, but I sold our, um, we had, I had big sales on these platforms and then I sold our playscape like we had this like $1200 playscape that we had gotten for the kids like the wooden structures that were built and um we had just built it and, um, or had it built. And then we moved and the house that we bought here had kind of a lousy one. And Jay's like, well, if you can sell it, we can take the money from that. And some guy literally came, he ended up like eating pasta with us on Sunday. Cause he came with a U-Haul and a screwdriver and took the whole thing apart. Like it took him hours. Like he was like our friend by the end of the day, I felt like I had to feed him. He was there all day long, but he bought the damn playground. And- like a true Italian. I had to feed him. So, I had to feed him, yeah. So- <laughs> that was Craigslist, um, I buy and sell a lot of American Girl stuff. I used to on Craigslist as well, but it's all shifted away from Craigslist. Yeah. Was there something, Laura, when you got started, um, regardless of the platform, that was really trending as far as vintage went? Went at the time, like something that inspired you to sell vintage, or was there some sort of a trend at the time? Um. Yeah. I want to say, you know, back
2: when I started, it was a lot easier to find like 1950s and 1960s. So I actually found a huge stash of like fifties and sixties dresses that were just like gorgeous. Like I remember I had like a blush pink one and like a baby blue one that just like it, oh, they were just so pretty. And like these days you can't really, you can't find those as easily. So like this was just like me casually thrifting. I was like, Oh, that's cute. Like I'll keep it. And I just kept getting all these compliments on it and all that kind of stuff. And so it was just kind of one of those things that like, it felt like the natural evolution to start selling them. Cause I realized like I could find them I guess I don't know so Were
0: you always wearing vintage was
2: mm-hmm. that, like your yeah. Style? yeah yeah I was always wearing vintage I was definitely the weird one too in the like in the store because like Nordstrom's really trendy and like fashion forward mm-hmm. whereas I was wearing all these like <laughs> old garments and yeah so I definitely stuck out like a sore thumb
0: <laughs> well now you'd be trendy in Nordstrom so <laughs>
2: Yeah. Now I would back then though, people were like, Oh,
1: okay.
0: Who's this girl? And why <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <she's here? laughs>
1: they were judging you a
2: little bit, a little bit.
1: <laughs> so, um, do you still sell any modern?
2: Yeah, actually I would say my business has completely shifted. Um, I'm like, 80% modern, oh, wow. 30% vintage. Yeah, it's definitely taken a big shift. Um, Is that
0: because of COVID or you just no, made the-
2: Yeah, I think it's just more that like, I realized I had to become a volume seller in order to, you know, maintain a, a good income. Um, and obviously like things have changed so much in the vintage world. You know, you can't command the same prices that you used to for vintage, um, just because it, you know, it is becoming a little bit more saturated, like the trends are changing and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, I definitely, um, and also I saw the potential in selling both too, you know, it's almost like if I'm going to put that much time into sourcing, like I'm going to get all the
1: things. I'm not just going to do one thing, you know, <laughs> right. If you're at the bins and you, and you're finding modern that, you know, is going to sell like why pass on that? Yeah, exactly
0: that makes sense. That definitely makes sense. I just always associate you with vintage, but I do know you sell modern too. I feel like it's just what I know you for, right? Finding the Yeah, world. I
2: have a, I mean, it's not really a hidden eBay store, but I just don't list it like in my Instagram yeah. profile or anything. But yeah, I do have an eBay store that has, I think I just
1: hit a little over 900 listings. Oh, wow. So, yeah. You know, Laura, I never advertise my eBay either. And now I'm selling on it a lot more. And people have asked me, like they'll comment on YouTube. Like, I don't, I don't really buy or sell on Poshmark. What's your eBay store? I don't even know what my store is called. Like, I just never talk about it.
2: Yeah. I don't
1: know if it's just that there's, there's no aesthetic over there. Like I throw anything over there. Not that I'm, I'm not as even... A fraction as curated as you are um with what you put out there but i still am not comfortable with like the ebay store thing because i think mine's kind of a hot mess oh my gosh my ebay store is just like hanger photo hanger photo lay it on the floor photo yeah Yeah. i just
0: ebay's just free game like that like there's Mm -hmm. no pressure to have it look a certain way as long as people can see the item and your descriptions telling them what it needs to say
2: Exactly. Really well, it. and plus on top of that, I sell a lot of damaged items. Like because I'm a bin shopper, like mm-hmm. I find a lot of designer but it has major flaws in it, but it'll still sell, you know, especially on eBay. Yeah. So, but I do feel weird like it's like you can't you can't mingle that together with like yeah, heavily yeah. curated vintage and then you're like, "Oh yeah, here's a, you know, shredded to pieces <laughs> designer."
1: please. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) more apprehensive about listing damaged stuff on eBay because I'm always like worried I'm going to get in trouble over there where like if if something's flawed on Poshmark, I mean, I always disclose it regardless of the platform, but I I think I'm just a little gun shy over on eBay, like for, um, I don't know for, I don't accept returns, which I probably should, but, um, I don't know. I'm getting more comfortable with it. It's funny that you say that because I'm the direct
2: opposite. I hate selling flawed stuff on Poshmark because I'm like, there's a part of me that's like, oh, they can't really like do anything about it if they don't read the description. Whereas like on eBay, I'm like, I I document everything. I put it in the, you know, in the description, all that kind of stuff. And I don't I do not do returns on eBay. Oh, you don't either? Yeah.
1: Mm-mm.
2: I um, just
0: think eBay's not our comfort, Lori. And that's why it's always like, eh, do I do it? Do I not do it? It's- well, I just
1: feel like there are no consequences on... Poshmark, you know, like I got a on eBay recently. And I, even as it is, as it stands, I use a fraction of the stock photos over there, but it was a North face and um, I got a ding for it. And I was like, damn it. Like, so now I'm just pulling every stock photo, but then so many people have stock photos over there. So, but I mean, I guess some wholesalers have permission to use stock photos and Whatever, but I I just don't want to take the chance. So yeah, I think I'm just more like weary as I'm building my business over there of getting um like a ding. So
2: yeah, I know what you mean. I have a friend who she's a massive volume seller, and she got hit with um, stock photos, and she got her store put on hold for like 30 days and then 60 days. So it was yeah, it was pretty. Would they like she multiple can't. offenses?
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Yeah.
2: So eventually, I mean her store's okay now, but yeah, she had to take down all of her stock
1: photos and
2: yeah.
1: So yeah, it is it's weird. It's yeah, there are more consequences over there. So if I'm mm-hmm. gonna take a return, I'd rather just like honor the return over on Poshmark and, and just yeah. But anyways, that is really it is interesting. Um so so you're 80% you're saying, um, or 70% you're saying is now modern. When did you make that shift? Has it been within the past year, the past six months? Um,
2: it was when I moved here, and, or sorry, here. I say here so vaguely to anybody listening. <laughs> it was when I moved into my, my new apartment. Um, once I had the space for it and I realized that I could go full volume, I was just like, yeah, it's, it's time to, time to shift gears and just house as much clothing in here as I can.
0: Yeah, I wanted to go back to what you said about um, vintage being a bit more saturated and and there's more people kind of diving into it. Do you think, I know you said that the market doesn't um, allow for certain vintage pieces to, I guess, give you the um, profit that it once did. do you find it's more difficult where you live in particular because of the, in you know, the communities and the environments around you and the sellers that are around you? Do you think that makes it more difficult for you? Or do you th- just think it's the culture of vintage selling now that it's just so hot in this current climate and everyone's looking for it because of the trends that are going on, whether it be on TikTok, Instagram, wherever it is?
2: Yeah, I think it's definitely a little bit of both. Um, I think, you know, like I said, when I first started, it was way easier to find, um, certain eras, whereas now it's definitely getting harder and harder. Um, but I do think because Los Angeles is so trendy and like fashion forward, it definitely does get, um, picked over very quickly. Like people are specifically looking for it and you have, you know, like flea market sellers and stuff like that, who like that is their main business. And, you know, like at the, bins for instance the majority of the people who are still going there are flea market sellers so they definitely know what they're looking for and they they work fast you know they're like running in there and grabbing all the stuff and then running out and so, yeah.
0: I think, Lori, for us, like, I think of the guys at the bins in New Hampshire that, like, are only looking for the t-shirts and the hats and the jerseys. Like, that's mm-hmm. what comes to mind when I think of vintage mm-hmm. sellers. That's typically what I see when I've been at the bins. Yeah,
2: um, yeah I, think they, I think they exist exactly. in every bin yeah. location. It's like, like there's different always,
1: different like, like- <laughs> the jersey guys, the t- yes. t-shirts guys. <laughs> exactly. They kind of, yeah, they're, like, trading back and forth. And, um. yeah. And I it's remember- interesting...
2: Because I think the vintage men's vintage is where women's vintage was when I first started, where it's like the prices are just like, oh my gosh, like you can sell that t-shirt for $400. Okay, like do that, you know, whereas like women's vintage used to be that way. So I think it's there's like a bubble, there's a bubble that's about to burst when it comes to men's clothing.
1: Yeah. I think. Do you think that the reason you're not finding 50s and 60s clothing now um, is just because time has moved on? So now maybe you're finding people, I mean, because you said it's been like seven years since you opened your Etsy store. And then probably prior to that, it's probably been 10 years you've been dressing in vintage clothing. Mm-hmm. So I'm wondering if it's just because we're a decade ahead that now you're just finding yeah, I and think that's very possible easily, but now fifties and sixties is just that much more rare, mm-hmm. a little bit more in the rear view mirror. So, yeah. I and wonder- I mean, as,
2: as morbid as it sounds like you're, you're finding things that like most likely the person has passed away and like, you know, given their clothes away and all that right. kind of stuff. So, yeah, I think it really does have to go with, um, you know, based on the timing, the time frame, for sure. of yeah.
1: course. You should come if you're ever if you're ever East Coast. I think there's a lot of good selection for vintage in New Hampshire. You know, shop Foxborough, Brittany. Yeah, yeah, I love her. She's a New Hampshire girl, and she does do her. She does shop at the bins, and um, yeah, they, they have a good selection there. I think we found more vintage. I, I personally find more vintage in New Hampshire than I did in Boston. Mm. Boston bins, which have been closed, unfortunately, um, they had a lot more fun fashion modern stuff. Um, just because they were the city, and New Hampshire's kind of just a little more woodsy and off the beaten path sort of stuff. So yeah, wait, your bins are still closed?
0: The ones in Boston are.
1: Yeah, I don't think Boston's reopening. Which is I
0: don't know if they ever will. Right now, really makes me I cry.
1: Don't. Yeah, I actually had a um, somebody who follows me on Instagram had like messaged me, DM'd me to say like, there was some drama at the bins. Like I, I think like. I, I don't know. Like it was all hearsay, but I think there was like a fight that resulted in some like police. It's it's kind of in, you know, not the, best area, not the of best area. And, um, and it's also a super small space. Like I would say New Hampshire is probably three times the size of Boston. Yeah. And New Hampshire is not that big. And New Hampshire isn't that huge. Yeah. Um, so I think the combination of whatever went down there, COVID, and then when they went to reopen, they're kind of assessing, like, I think the, um, their maximum capacity would, I mean, it's 45 people in New Hampshire. I it would probably be 20 people. Like, 20. I don't even know if it would be worth it. Oh yeah. That so I don't know hard. if it's still a COVID thing or, but I miss them tremendously. I miss them. Yeah.
0: They had a lot of great stuff. And even like not bins because the bins aren't close to me. I mean, if I were to go to New Hampshire bins, they're probably an hour and 40 minutes, maybe two hours, depending on traffic for me to get there. Mm -hmm. Um, The thrift stores that I have local to me, two of them in particular are just filled with vintage, like 70s, 80s, like grandma sweaters everywhere. Like, you know, everything you can imagine are there. And I have a hard time in some of my thrift stores that are close to me, like from when I leave work or closer to my home um, because it's predominantly vintage and that's not what I'm selling. So I have to always travel a little bit and not that Rhode Island's small, so I'm not going far, but I have to kind of go an extra like 10 minutes in another direction to be able to find certain pieces. Not saying that I can't find them in the one, in the thrift stores that are closer to me, but it is, there's definitely um, an older generation in those areas. So as they're, you know, either going into, um, different homes or, or passing, uh, all that stuff's getting put into those thrift stores. So yeah, An abundance of it around me.
1: Yeah. Like, I wish I had that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it is fun. I mean, I think the further along I get in my reselling journey, I think I've just been appreciating vintage more and more just because of its uniqueness. You know, you can, pass by a thousand and one dresses from the loft. And then like even Lululemon and Madewell, and it's just like, everybody has it, everybody's selling it. And then you find a cool vintage piece. And I just love the history of it so much. I love researching it. Um, yeah, I think it, it's definitely a portion of my business. I just recently did a, what sold vintage edition. Um, and it was just sales from Poshmark. And a couple people had mentioned in the comments that, you know that they think you make more money on ebay for vintage as far as like um what people are willing to pay and i've kind of been all over the map with certain vintage pieces have sold really well actually oh my gosh i meant to credit you um i was shopping the other day laura and i picked up a penny lane uh leather jacket oh and wow. i used the keywords just because i i don't know where i heard you talking about it if it was a video or i don't yeah. know where. But um, I it, yeah, I did it in a video and an Instagram story about it. Okay. Yeah. So, um, I was like, oh my gosh, like I saw the coat, it was from the weather vane, which was like a mall brand in the eighties that we used to shop at. And, um, It it was, you know, it's just a Penny Lane leather jacket with like all the faux fur here. And so I listed it just for a hundred dollars and I paid 13 for it and it sold in like two days, 80 bucks on eBay. I'm like, how perfect that my Penny Lane coat sold the day um, that we were talking to Laura. But I wanted to thank you because I would have, I would have never used that key term. I would have never used Penny Lane. And I mean, I, we love Almost Famous in my house. We love that movie.
2: I know, right? I think people- they don't, they don't even think about like half the keywords that you can use. Most of them come from like pop culture and stuff like that. Like that's the majority of descriptions. I think when it comes to describing certain things, I mean, cottage core is a perfect example. That's like a total pop culture, like, you know, thing, it's not a a description of the item. It's like a way to describe what's trending and stuff like that. So, yeah. Do you think cottage core is still alive and well? I think it keeps evolving, which is so weird. Like the whole like now it's like dark academia and like all these like new little
1: subsets of like it's almost like a Reddit forum. Like there's like all these little like (laughs) But I feel like dark (laughs) academia is like totally different than Cottage Core.
2: Yeah, it's but it's like it stems from it, you know, like it's like almost like in the same family, but then it like kind of shoots off into its own little like. So let's explain
0: what that is for people that are listening and don't know what what that term means.
2: As far as cottage core or both of them. Both of them. We can do both. Um, because cottage core is like a very um like uh you know, like you live in a cottage in the middle of nowhere and you little dress house in the like, prairie
0: is what I think.
2: Yeah, like very like lace and florals and, and all that kind of stuff. And then dark academia is like um Feels a little uh, more off like plaids and, yeah
1: um, no, like
2: uh what's that movie dead poet society yeah like that, that like like going back into you know that time period of you know you got your textbooks in your hand and you're walking around with like your little sure outfit on almost yeah. like a little harry potter vibe
1: yeah yeah <laughs> very much that too um, <laughs> But it, it is, it's fun to, to see those trends. And then one of my other thoughts or questions is when you're shopping for um, vintage styles and you're trying to kind of, you know, maybe you're sourcing specifically for cottage core vibes or dark academia. I mean, are you going specifically and, and are is it essential that it's vintage or is it just like a look? Um, and are you looking for specific brands? Like, do are there certain brands with vintage that are, like, exciting? Um, well, like, for example, I mean, like, you know, like the Jessica McClintock. I mean, that, I think, is one that's super common and everybody knows, like, Gunny Sacks. Um, yeah. So that, I guess, is an example where the brand would be... Uh, as equally as important as maybe the style but do you think with certain vibes the the fact that it's vintage or not or brand or not is important or not um i i personally don't
2: worry about the brand at all like of course i like to know you know the designers and stuff like that like there's some top shelf vintage that you know you you always want to keep a lookout for. You don't want to pass it up. But at the same time, I mean, there's so many obscure brands out there that got discontinued or like never made it, but like it's still considered vintage and coveted because of either the design or, you know, how old it is and all that kind of stuff. Um, But as far as finding things that don't necessarily fall into the vintage category, but is still on trend... Um, I personally find that really hard. Like I don't get as much dollar amount, like, like the value doesn't hold the same way for me. Um, mainly because it's, you know, the searchability of it. Like if you can't use the word vintage in the title, I think that, um, makes it a little bit harder to sell. If that makes sense. That does
0: make sense. I think that's one of the struggles that I have with vintage is like, I'm, not that I'm super brand focused, because that's that's not true. Because if I find a style that I really like, brand doesn't always necessarily matter. Um, but I feel like I want to have a better understanding of brands in the vintage market, so that like like I need a little list for myself where it's like, okay, if you find these five brands, those are definite. You should pick them up. Like good introductory brands for myself to get into vintage, if that makes sense. Like I had introductory list of brands that I wanted to try for modern clothing. Like I feel like I need that same thing to kind of get my feet wet and then like dive into it in the way that I want to dive into it
2: yeah I way. think the the only problem that I have with that is like um, let's take uh, Bill Blass for example yep. um, vintage label you'll find pretty commonly at the thrift store there is some Bill Blast that will sell for like hundreds of dollars but there's some that won't move at all because it's like, you know, mom jeans from the nineties or something like that, you know, it's just not like, not something that's sellable, but there are some pieces that it's like, it came from when the designer was like creating like an actual fashion house and like Mm -hmm. the actual designer was putting the time and work into those pieces. So you can command a different, different price point. So that's why I think it's, it's hard to say like bolos for certain things because, the brand, like Gloria Vanderbilt is another good example. If you find vintage Gloria Vanderbilt, you like have struck goals. You'll make so much money off of it. But if you find the current stuff, it's like, right. you know, Perfect. that sounds like goals. <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. Um, I struggle sometimes cause I list a decent amount. I try to pick up like a piece or two of vintage that I find interesting in, in most halls. And, um, I struggle with whether to put the brand as just vintage or put the actual brand. And sometimes I guess it just depends. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I think it's, I I picked up yesterday, you know, how Victoria's Secret had a country line at some point. Um, and I sold one country piece. It's like pajamas that are just more like almost like cottage core looking, but more like plaids. And, and I sold one piece that sold really well, like between like 30 and $45, I guess, and sold pretty quickly. And then I got like a green velvet um, suit, like, and it, it stuck around forever. It ended up selling for $19. It ended up on my buy Felicia list. Um, But I picked up another one yesterday. That's just like a blue plaid Victoria's secret country. I don't know when they had the country label, if it was eighties or nineties. But anyways, like I, I will definitely list that as a Victoria's secret. Yeah, Um, but then I guess just in the title, vintage and country, and then I'll always include like Victoria's Secret, Gold Label. I pick that up when I see it. Um, But yeah, it is. There are so many nuances to Mm -hmm. uh, vintage. It's 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 hard to. I mean, that's why like it's it's really something I feel like you have to experience to get. Yeah, you you
2: have to you have to be willing to make the mistakes and maybe pick up something that. Either isn't true vintage or you know that maybe you label it wrong or you know you have to go through all of those motions um and and I think a lot of people are so afraid to list vintage because they don't know if they're going to get their full dollar amount and like the truth is, is like yeah you're probably either gonna on one time and then the next time you're not and it's just like you're still making money you know you're still keeping the ball rolling yeah Yeah, it's just
0: taking that step, right? Just understanding it and making the mistakes just as you would in modern clothing.
2: Exactly, exactly. It's the same kind of mistakes. I think just people, they learn one thing or the other first. And I guess I got lucky and learned vintage early on. Yeah,
0: especially right now because it's huge.
2: Yeah, yeah, it's pretty crazy. The other thing I would say, like as far as advice goes for selling it, like to maybe make yourself a little less nervous about it, Um, is like, I feel like people rely specifically for vintage people rely so much on searching comps on like eBay or Etsy or any of those, but now because vintage is shifting so much to like Instagram and, you know, selling on lives and stuff like that, you really just need to follow a lot of the popular accounts and find out what they're selling and kind of keep an eye on how much they're selling it for. And go based on that more than you do souls Because a lot of the good stuff isn't being sold on eBay anymore. It's being sold on, you know, other platforms. Which is so That's interesting.
1: interesting.
0: It's so interesting because the whole selling market for vintage is so, it's so different. A lot of it is lives. A lot of it is on Instagram or I don't know what do people sell on TikTok. Is that a thing? I have no Probably idea.
2: Probably at this point. yeah.
0: I- you know, <laughs> I don't know, but I feel like that's a predominant amount of vintage sellers that I have seen on Instagram. You know, they have a reel that goes up and they're modeling like four or five outfits. And then it's like, you know, they'll have a thing like bidding at 8 p.m. tonight kind of thing. And then they, you know, they do their little bids on Instagram live and people go crazy for it. I mean, I've seen, I've watched some lives where people are bidding on vintage and it's gone as high as like $500 for items. Yeah, depending on what it is. It's it is crazy, crazy, but it's fascinating to watch because it's not something that I understand in the same capacity as other people that are probably on that live and understand the value of those items. So um yeah but it's definitely like it's a market that I would love to kind of get into it's like I need to I've mastered one area of what I love to do and now it's like time to kind of start dabbling into other things I feel confident enough to dabble and then you know eventually become better at it but
2: I see I think you don't give yourself as much credit as like I like, there's there's something that you just don't feel comfortable with because I'm like I see your Instagram stories where you post the like mm-hmm. the um the the fashion show stuff like to get people's opinions on it and I'm like that's that's it that's all you know you just you're yeah. taking that knowledge and you're finding the vintage version of it and you're selling I that know. That's it. I know. Yeah. I, mean, I
0: think it's the brand thing. I really think I get hung up on the brand thing. I think that's what stops me. I really and do. Pumps and because that's what I do right that's just what I'm used to doing it's just breaking out of that habit like when I'm specifically looking at vintage pieces or if I'm grabbing vintage pieces while I'm picking up modern like doing two separate things with the cart basically like I think I have to like do it that way in my brain like okay here's all my modern pieces I'm gonna look it up the way I normally do and then here's my vintage pieces let's just go based off, off of style and what I'm seeing and and grab those pieces just two different types of mentality when it goes into it I can do it I just need to actually physically do it you
1: know yeah I think another um strategy that I use when I'm shopping for vintage is um sometimes looking for fabric content right like if you it's not always the case right because there's probably a fair amount of polyester and acrylic that does well but if but when in doubt if you're on the fence and it happens to be wool like I, I bought a Liz Claiborne um silk skirt from the 80s or 90s and it was at the bins like it was super low risk and I knew it probably wasn't going to be huge money but Liz Claiborne was like a thing when I was little and now it's sold at JC Penney so to your point Laura I'm sure there's some Liz Claiborne that will go for a, a decent amount maybe not I don't know um but anyways it sold for like 20 bucks um and it probably cost 50 cents and it didn't you know and I buy like a lot of like the vintage like slips that people can use as a dress or like underneath a blazer um I tend to go with like low risk stuff so if if it's either silk or it's wool or cotton or just some sort of a nice fabric and it's vintage then I'm like well that's kind of a a decent sale like I picked up this um ice blue choss c-h-a-u-s it was just like a 80s dolman sleeve like crossed padded shoulders light light blue but it was um it was angora um, or mohair. It was something like that. And it sold for like 30, $35. So like there, I feel like it's less of a risk if the fabric content is also there and the price is right. You know, it's easier to just play around with it and see how it will do. When I've
0: picked up vintage, it's typically sweaters and it's always mohair and angora. Like those are the two things that I will always pick up if it's vintage. Um, The other thing too, that's trending right now in the fashion world. I don't know if you ladies Um, have heard of, but Argyle is like the new hot fabric that people want. They want items that are, that are Argyle and you'll
1: see Burberry. Not fabric. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, Sorry, That's
0: like the new hot trending thing. Like
2: Burberry. Is it like like, the sweater vests? Like the sweater vests,
0: even sweaters. I saw Burberry had, um, I think it was on Farfetch. They had like a whole, it was an actual, well, it was sleeveless. So she had like a button up underneath and then it was Um, a sleeveless sweater and then it had a matching skirt with the same pattern on it and everything it was interesting there's like this whole argyle thing going on
1: i wonder if argyle at all um ties in with the academia maybe yeah that would that would make sense i know also
2: uh the emma chamberlain she wears a little he always sets the trend yeah whatever she's wearing, which I feel like I recently saw her in an Argyle sweater. Probably because
0: there, it's like uh, the new hot thing. I don't know. I don't remember where I read it, but it was like one of the trending things to be looking for is Argyle.
1: Which is really um, doing more and more through. I actually watch Emma on a regular basis. (laughs) Like my kids. I do
2: too, just to keep up with the times. I (laughs) I I
1: find, I I find her fascinating. I think she's a little bit sad and lonely. Yeah. Um, But she's like my son's age. And I remember when Anthony first showed me her and she was 17 and I was like, this chick is obnoxious. And if she belches or drops an F-bomb one more time, Anthony, I'm like, how is this enjoyable to you? Like she's making a peanut butter sandwich and every other word is And I'm just like, I don't get it. Like, I don't get it. And he's just like, mom, like, get over yourself. She's hysterical. And like, I was really anti for a long time. And then I just started watching her more and more, like pre-reselling. Like, I just watched her more and more. And um, it's fascinating to see that she's like a Louis Vuitton. I know like like the evolution is it's insane. And then like, I'm always like, wow, she cleans up really well. Like when, when they do like do it all, it's fascinating to me, but I think she did a thread up video late recently. Where was I recently where people, I think it was in clubhouse maybe at night sometime. I don't know. I listen at I like that 10 30 group and I just like doze off listening, but, um, they were talking about how, um, you know Thread Up is reaching out to so many influencers now. Um, I also watch Carrie Dayton, who's like she's like a body positivity, like in her 30s. She did uh, she's been doing hauls with Thread Up and how they're reaching out to influencers to sell their stuff. But Emma Chamberlain had ordered a bunch of stuff and like she's just ripping open packages and they were like ten dollars here. And none of it is based on brand. Like, no, I feel yeah. like. For- my, I say this all the time for my daughter, for this generation, like it's weird because we are so brand focused. Yeah. Um, and sometimes I feel like it's just because I can't pull together a look because I'm 47 and a size 12, 14. I'm not going to look the same way that, you know, like my 19 year old daughter looks or 18 year old daughter looks in, in some of these clothing. So it's, it's, it's interesting because Emma wasn't looking at brands at all. I don't think she cares. And the prices
2: that she pays for some of the brand, like, like a Liz Claiborne top or something like that. Like that's the stuff that she's buying. And I'm like, well, you paid $35. (laughs)
0: 599 a thrift store.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's so funny. Yeah. It's really, it's really interesting. Because I was very, as a high school student, brand was still a big thing. Like having like a Benetton shirt was a really big deal. Like the rugby yeah. with Benetton, or there were like there were there were certain things. I mean, there are still for the kids. Like as much as my kids, Angie will go sh- thrifting and whatnot. Like she'll still want the air force ones or whatever like certain certain brands she'll still want but um not as much force as ones, I.
2: Man, it's definitely cool now to go and find like obscure stuff that doesn't have a label to it or yeah it's just something different and unique whereas like I like for me same thing growing up it was like if you didn't have an abercrombie and fitch t-shirt on you were nobody <laughs>
0: yep and then when hollister came out it was like everyone shifted to hollister and you know first was American Eagle then it was Abercrombie like that was that was it if you didn't have that on like I remember my first Abercrombie was like a zip up and it said Abercrombie and Fitch on it and I worked so hard to be able to afford one of them because it was like 108 dollars so this ridiculous thing and I worked I, I remember I picked up extra shifts to buy it in my part-time job because I wanted it so bad because everyone had one and my parents couldn't afford to get me one so I had to work extra to get it because that was cool to Mm. buy the brand new thing at the store where that's not the case now at all now you say i thrifted it and it's like wow you know like (laughs)
1: exactly like
0: mind blown you know even when i walk into the thrift store the climate is completely different forget even like what people are buying just the people that are in there in the last year has changed Mm -hmm. it is the, the predominant customer base now is like between 24 like 16 to 24 that's who shops shop in the thrift store
2: yeah. yeah, the amount of people that I see filming in the thrift stores yeah, too. True. Like
1: I'm like they're like filming their haul videos. Yes, this camera. Out. Yes. I wonder if it's like here to stay or if it's a trend. I I, I don't know. Yeah, it, I wonder it, the same thing. It seems hard. I feel like post COVID, we're gonna see like less YouTubers and hauls and stuff because I think everybody like launched their YouTube career like because they had the time and you know when we go back I wonder how things are going to shift even with reselling like people who re- who have been reselling through the pandemic but then only did it out of necessity um, right. and because they were home they weren't working and how that will shift if it will become less saturated in a couple years or if the trend will just continue because it's it's such a good thing you know it you're re- recycling fashion you are finding things for less money like all of it. I'm really curious to see which direction it will go. Yeah. I was just at my local mall the other night. I put it on my stories and it was so sad, like store after store after store, just gone, just empty. Like I, I did like a pan, like from left to right. And there were like three stores on the left that were just, you know, paper over the windows. And then as I panned across, there was like one or two that was open. Like auntie Annie's was still open and think the gap was gone. And then to the right, there were like three more stores just empty. And I think, and we'll go, um, to just like pick up pizza for Rocco or walk a little bit after like Jay gets out of work. Cause he sits at this desk for like nine hours a day. And then, um, so we'll just walk And as each month passes, like more are gone because I think as, as the leases are coming up, it's not worth it.
2: Yeah. Yeah. that's
0: really sad and it's so crazy because laurie's not too far from where i am we're like 40 minutes away from each other but the malls here don't look like the malls near laurie which is crazy. like we don't have well i don't know about Providence place because i don't go there which is the larger mall but the one that's closer to me no stores have left yet yet i mean that could all change but none of them have left. why well,
1: it's so different like natick is like our big mall like where the money is like the mall that I was at is just like a local mall. So I'm not surprised that that one, like Sears was one of their anchor stores gone. Um, But Natick, I'm noticing the, some of the higher end. It's funny because I went, I went to the Natick mall a couple of weeks ago and there was a two hour wait. I wanted to look at a bag at Louis Vuitton. It was a two hour wait to get into Louis Vuitton. And then like other stores are like boarding up their doors. Like, I think that lug, like certain luxury brands are doing okay, because I think people are taking, people who have money are saying, well, instead of going on our cruise this year, right? I'm going to buy, buy myself it. a new bag at Louis, you know, and people are justifying it that way. So I feel like some of the luxury brands, This is just an assumption of mine. They're, they're hanging in there. Cause like the prices haven't dipped on. You know some of the classic like chanel bags and dior and things that Daniela and i have been like looking have our have had our eyes on like on the real real or whatnot that their value is holding um, So yeah.
0: in the fashion world in general there's been a lot of talk about and it's been on clubhouse too Not to divert away from the conversation, but um, the luxury market has actually sustained and, if not grown, since the pandemic has happened because people aren't spending it on other things. So, if they have the income, they're not, like you said, going on trips. They're not buying whatever it is that they were buying before. Maybe they're not buying clothes like they were because they're not going to the office anymore. They're working from home. So, that money that they would have used for all these other things, they're now spending on. Maybe it is shoes. Maybe it is bags. What you know, whatever else it is in that luxury market. So they're actually thriving, and um, although they have pulled stores from major cities, it's just because it's not worth to have so many stores from them anymore. But they are popping up in other places, like they're doing pop up shops instead of having an actual physical store. So I feel like the luxury market, it's not going to go anywhere, even, yeah. even in a pandemic, because there's always there's a a, a proportion of the population that will always spend in the luxury market. Um, where I think mall brands, because it can become so saturated because it's fast fashion and it gets produced so much, there's just so much of it out there and so many fast fashion brands that it's a little harder to sustain, I think.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah. You have a lot of, um, smaller labels that like, they just, yeah, they, they were the ones who got hurt the most, you know, those, those small designers like that have like one to two people team kind of thing. Yeah. They're the ones disappearing.
0: So much it, the fashion yeah. world in general is just fascinating.
2: Yeah. I also
1: think that a lot of those stores that are closing like the air apostles or like um, the fast fashion teenage stores where that's their target audience. It makes sense because as we, we've been discussing, like vintage is exciting to mm-hmm. teens right now and young adults and um you know, they're, they don't mind buying secondhand. They don't care so much about brands. So they're, they don't want to go to American Eagle necessarily and spend $60 on a pair of jeans when they can get them for 25 on Poshmark. You know? Yeah.
2: And I feel like that fashion, like that style has just kind of disappeared. Like it's really, like urban outfitters kind of lucked out. Cause they've always been that like vintage kind of know. on trend style. Whereas like, yeah, any of those mall brands, I'm like, I don't even know if they're relevant anymore.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I don't know either. And I don't really buy them. And I haven't in a very long time uh, because I feel like a lot of them are geared towards that younger generation, the preteen, the teenage, early 20s kind of thing. But the one market that, or one type of store in the malls that I feel like is always thriving is sneakers. Footlockers, lady footlockers, all of those, finish line, like those are just and even in terms of like vintage sneakers, there's a huge market for vintage sneakers. Vintage sellers, oh gosh, yeah vintage two sellers, like they have it made when they if they understand it and they see it, they're grabbing it. It's Who funny.
1: Would have ever think. thought? Yeah. Oh no, go ahead. I was just going to say it's funny you say that about the sneakers cuz we were walking through the mall and as we're passing all of these shops that have closed, I said, but somehow I still managed to spend $120 on a pair of sneakers for Angie at Foot Locker. Like I literally just said that and these three stores just closed, but like no freaking sales in there.
0: <laughs> I know. Wow. I know. It's a, and, and even Air Force 1s, for example, if you can find vintage Air Force 1s at the thrift store, those are valued even more than the current style of Air Force ones. I wish I kept mine from like 2003. Because I, I, I used to wear them every day.
1: All right, we need to bring it back here. Um, <laughs> I wanna talk to you, uh, Laura, because I think you're known for your um, like artistic photography. And I mean, that's what we, I, I, I always- really, I associate you with. <laughs> I look forward to your Instagram post and yeah. even your videos, like when you're like, hello, internet. Even though, know, like, once a month that I put them out, <laughs> and I that... love them. I love them. It doesn't <laughs> like matter. I like when they do pop up, I'm not like desensitized to them because I see them every day. Like, other, yeah. you know, there are other creators who are just, I mean, even me, I'm there twice a week. You know, people probably get sick of seeing me, but like when I see that your video pops up, I'm really excited. And I always know that it's going to be different. And I always know that, um, I don't know, like, your pace is slower and your like everything is super thoughtful um, and I really appreciate that when I watch it like you're not just holding things up and throwing yeah. them to the side like everything is art and I love it mm-hmm. and um, I'm sure that's like a push and pull for you right because I'm sure it's it's I, I I am somewhat familiar with editing and I know that your videos aren't a quick edit definitely not
0: <laughs> but, uh... <laughs> your transitions are great like I, love I do
1: appreciate them.
0: everything it's great Thank it's you. literally watching a movie that's the way I think of when I watch your videos that's what I think of because there's transitions and there's a beginning there's a middle and there's an end like just like they would be in a movie
2: I really appreciate that because that was everything
1: that I was ever going for
2: oh, success <laughs> achieved.
1: achieved however when we before we pressed record we were talking to you about how things have changed recently I guess with your business model and you mentioned earlier in this conversation how you're now like moving more towards volume more towards modern and um where are you where do you stand with um modeling your clothes at this point
2: well um i guess i'll just do like a quick information dump because i don't know how else to explain it but um basically you know when i moved into this new apartment that i got um you know my the the amount of money that i have to make has completely changed and uh, I think for a really long time, I held on to doing this like really artistic, you know, as, as beautiful as I could and as curated as I could vintage collection. And then I realized, you know, once I moved into this place, volume was really going to be my only option to be able to make rent like alone. So yeah, I had to switch gears and I really had to, like when I first moved in here, I was like, okay, this is the game plan I'm going to do. I'm going to split it up into two and basically work like full-time eBay and then part-time Etsy. That was what I was going to try and attempt to do. So like 10 to 15 modern items listed on eBay a day, and then like one or two items on Etsy and just go from there. And it was like, it was working, but I was just barely getting by. And I realized, you know, the only way I'm going to make the income that I need to make is if I focus on the like you know, 20 to 30 items a day on eBay, and then maybe just shelve vintage for a little bit. And the reason I chose to shelf vintage and like push that off to the side, like it's, I've given up vintage a couple of times throughout my career. So it wasn't like that heartbreaking, but the reason I decided to do it right now is because I, I had to ask myself, I was like, do I, cause at the same time as doing all that stuff, I also still wanted to do YouTube. I had spent so much time learning how to make YouTube videos to the level that like I wanted to make them and I was like, I, I can't do this is too it was too much. It was way too much. So I had to ask myself, I was like, do I want to put this much time and effort into a YouTube video or do I want to put this much time and effort into my Etsy store? And I realized I was like, you know what, I've been doing Etsy for this long and it hasn't gotten me to the level that I had envisioned when I first started. So maybe it's time to just put that on hold. And eventually I'm going to start doing YouTube, hopefully. I mean, I say this all the time, but I'm like, I'm going to do a video a week. And then I never do a video a week, but I really would like to shift gears and be able to do, you know, eBay, my full-time job. I also list on Poshmark and all that kind of stuff, but like, just make that my full-time job. But like YouTube is my passion project. Mm -hmm. So that's really that's
1: really interesting and and i and i feel like just for all the reasons we just mentioned i think you do stand out on youtube and you you have worked at it and i can like when i when i talk about youtube with my husband who is also an accountant and my financial advisor (laughs) and i say to him you know i say that i'm a full-time reseller but really i mean i'm not listing 20 items a day i'm like five to ten items a day which is very part-time but I'm putting out two videos a week and probably spending 15 hours a week between, you know, videotaping and editing and putting out and answering comments and all that stuff. And I say, am I just spinning my wheels? Like, should I not be putting this much time into YouTube? And what my husband says is like, well, the idea with YouTube is, you know, if in five years you're still doing this and you're still consistent, you know, in theory, if things keep going, you know, you're going to have, uh, peaks and valleys as far as growth goes. But I mean, if you keep gaining subscribers and viewers, you'll be doing the same amount of work, but you'll be making however much more money you'll be making. Like he's like, I look at YouTube as kind of a long game yeah.
0: mm-hmm. and I love
1: it. Like you said, like I am passionate about YouTube. And so um, I think that's probably, and, and you said you, you've kind of gone the route with Etsy and you've really nurtured it and it's at a certain level. But like, I think it's interesting to see if you really nurture something like YouTube and you, you project out five years um, and you see where your numbers could be in five years. And what you always, you often see with reselling with any, anything that we do, you see the people who stick, stick around for a long time. Mm -hmm. Like they're really talented people who just come and go in any profession, you know, whether it's reselling or accounting or teaching or whatever it is, YouTube. Um, But if you can kind of stay the course when you have something special, I think it's, it could be worth it. Like that. That's what we're all hoping, you know. Yeah. As you put in, and I think it's you're 100%. the amount of work. Yeah. I think you're hundred percent right. It's like,
2: you just have to stick with it and see where it goes. Like that's it's the people who, who do that, 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 end up with, you know, the million subscribers and stuff like that. Like it's possible. It's so possible on YouTube and people don't realize that because they do, they fall off after a year and you know, they, they don't see the, the immediate growth that they think is going to happen
1: because it's super hard work. It, it is. It, it really is hard work. And I think people underestimate how hard it, how hard it can be. And I also think it's very hard to stay with anything that we're talking about YouTube reselling, vintage, modern, whatever, if you're not passionate about it. Like yeah. I talk to a lot of people who want to be on YouTube, but they're like, I hate it. I'm like, well, that, that's going to be tricky. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> that's going to be tricky. Um, yeah. Like they like the idea of it, but they don't actually like the process of it. And that, mm-hmm. that's hard, you know? So you're definitely yeah. onto something. I, I think that would be a good use of your time.
2: Yeah. I hope I so. Like Cause it. I, I really enjoy it. The only thing it's funny, we joked about this before we started recording, but I was saying how I feel like your podcast is kind of like a therapy session for a lot of people. So I'm like, uh, are we, are we starting my therapy session? Right now? <laughs> <laughs> Cause my biggest problem with YouTube is like, I feel like I don't have a direction. Like, I feel like I want to do this one thing, but I realize that that's not what people want to watch. People want to watch my reselling side. And I'm like, that's actually not what I want to put out there. I want to put out fashion. I want to put out like what inspires me to resell. And I don't think a lot of people respond to that as much as they do like what sold videos and like call videos and stuff like that.
0: I think it's just geared towards a different audience you know, not necessarily the reselling me as a reseller would watch it, but me as a fashion lover would watch it too. So I Mm -hmm. think you just fall in a different market where you still have resellers that will watch that type of content. But I think you'll have a lot of, because there is quite a market out there for the fashion world on YouTube, where there's people that I follow internationally, not even just within the U.S., that talk about they thrift as well, but they talk about the trends and what inspired them to pick up what pieces. And, you know, this look is inspired by, and they'll show whatever it is or by whatever designer. Right. And they'll, they'll just, and they'll explain each piece and why they picked it up. But I think there's a market for that. And it may not necessarily be in the reselling world, but it will, there'll be overlap.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And it's just being okay with that.
1: You know, yeah, and it, it is like my my friend Hope from Racks Rich has just put out a great video today on her inventory system. And she has been really getting some footing with YouTube. Like she just did five just just thousand subscribers and then like yeah. her past two videos have been over five thousand views like awesome. within a week. Like she is but she does like these giant hauls, right? And she loves it. And I say all the time too, like I'm grateful that I enjoy doing hauls. Like I love the storytelling behind a haul. Um, I like them. And they also happen to get a lot of views on YouTube, but it is discouraging when you put your heart and soul into a different project, whatever it is. Um, and I've done, and I've branched. I mean, I clearly don't just do hauls, but that is hauls and what sold videos. That's yeah, it's like the about. bread and butter of, of yeah, YouTube. but I mean, I think if you can, and I think as far as direction goes, I think the more you do, and Danielle, you can probably speak to this, the more um, the more you release stuff, you'll find your direction, and it's, I'm sure your channel will evolve over time. I mean, one of the ways that I've considered like pulling in like some other content to my um, channel is to just maybe add an extra video. Like if I'm worried about the views, which can't be a slave to that because it will just own you. But um, if I'm worried about something, then I'll I'll say, well, I'll do my standard stuff and then I'll do this random topic on, like I'll do a third video or, or whatever, like to kind of take the place. And then you start kind of weaving it into your channel and then it also just becomes your channel.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's your, it's your creative outlet. You can make it whatever you want. I mean, if you were to imitate what big YouTubers do, which I, you can't really look at them because they're just on a different level, but the YouTubers like uh, PewDiePie and the Beast and like all these big people out there, or even makeup, their makeup gurus, like, I mean, she doesn't do anything anymore, but like Tati and Jacqueline Hale, like all these big Uh, people they've done other things in their channel and eventually they evolve and they and they because their channel is just known for one specific thing they end up doing different channels so so some might do like tech on one channel and then the other channel they're doing like video game streaming type stuff so you know yeah evolve over time but I think um all of them at some point in time in their growth of their channel has mixed everything that they love into one place and then just kind of Figured it out once they reach a certain point okay my audience really loves this response to this let's start a new channel on this one specific project and then everything else is just like this channel that everyone knows is kind of like all the things that they love to watch from me and then you build the audience kind of thing but you're so creative and it's such a creative outlet for you i just think youtube is a great space for you to just expand and experiment and see what happens i have a baby youtube channel Like, you know, 688 subscribers going strong, but the people that do watch me and the feedback that I get is they like the educational aspect of what I put out and how I explain things and break it down. And the way I break it down to them is very much like in a teacher format because of my background, like I can explain it to a way to people where... It makes sense. And there's like dual modalities of learning. Maybe it's audio, maybe it's, you know, a picture. It's a little bit of everything. Um, Maybe it's the way of using descriptive words. I don't know, but people like that aspect of it. So for me, and I think my YouTube in the future is going to be a lot of informational type stuff, how to's like that side of reselling, but then also someday you know maybe if I ever go to more than one video would be also having other things in there that I enjoy doing like fashion related stuff because I love that and always have loved that and learning more about other aspects of fashion that's not just luxury or current trends you know stuff like that
2: yeah you okay, your photography really in there
0: awesome. let's talk about photography you model your clothing do you still model
2: yes or no I- do not model anymore. So not going amazing. on two weeks.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so I guess explain to everyone why you're not modeling anymore, and then why you think and then we
1: will have a moment of silence. <laughs> yeah, I
0: know because i think kind of sad. And um, why you think so many people are modeling now that maybe didn't before? Because I feel like we see it everywhere now.
2: Yeah, definitely. Um, I th- so the reason I stopped modeling is just because it was bottlenecking and it was just like the the one thing that I knew I would have to give up if I wanted to do other things. Um, and we don't need to do a moment of silence though because I have decided no, okay. that I want to keep vintage for myself again. I used to do, you know, my wardrobe was like amazing. And then I sold it all off. Cause I was like, oh, I can make this much money off of it. Yeah. But now I'm like, I'm in a place and I have enough space that like, I can, I can store a lot of clothes in here. You guys like a lot of clothes. (laughs) So I decided I'm going to start focusing on photographing stuff and and just putting it on my Instagram for fun.
0: I love that. And showing people the styles and like you can create an outfit with X, Y, and Z. And here are five outfits you can use with just these, whatever, three pieces, four pieces, whatever it is.
2: Exactly. And I will always be shoving it in people's faces that I only paid like $5 for the entire I love that.
0: outfit. I YouTube videos right there. Like there is a market for that. I love it. Yeah,
1: <laughs> You'll probably, my guess is that now that you've taken the, the work part out of it, it will kind of bring the joy back for you. I think so too. Yeah. With vintage and you can just like share or not share just like rock a vintage t-shirt and not have to explain it. Like it's, and that's just part of your aesthetic on um, Instagram or YouTube or wherever you're at in that moment. But I think, I, I think I did read one of your posts recently where you said, I decided I'm going to keep stuff now.
2: Yeah. In my old place. Cause I was in a studio apartment and I just, I couldn't, I mean, Danielle, I know you 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 know how it is. Like you have a very similar situation where it's just like it's too small of a space and just couldn't justify keeping everything. And now I'm like, yeah, I'm keeping it all.
0: (laughs) Good for you. I can't wait for that day where I can like actually have a wardrobe. Because when we moved, I mean, I went from a four-bedroom house to a one-bedroom apartment. So it's it was a drastic change. I got rid of everything. And my closet is very, I mean, my husband and I share it, but it's small. I mean, and I have inventory stored in there, plus what you see back here. So it's like, I, I look forward to the day where I can have that too, Laura.
2: And that's in the near future, right? Yeah, that's yeah like- probably
0: in the next like five, uh, three to five months right. in that range. We're currently mm-hmm. looking right now. So nice. fingers crossed the market's not great because there's nothing available, but
1: <laughs> right now.
0: We will see, but that like, and that will be a game changer for my business as well as it was for you having the space and being able to actually do what it is that you wanna do that ha- you've been he- holding back on because you just don't have the space to do it. Yeah. Liberating to know that that's in the near future mm-hmm. just like it was for you to have that.
2: hundred um, percent. And then the other part, wait, what was the, I feel like that was a two-part question. Yes, the,
0: two, the second part was we see everyone modeling now and like why we think that's happening. Think it is. Yeah, and how important do you think modeling is?
2: I think that's a good question. You know, for me, I it really, yes, there are some pieces that like you can command a little bit more money because you're, you, you know, you're modeling it. But I really think the time and effort that it takes to model and photograph and edit and all that kind of stuff, you could be doing so many other things to make up that money in different ways. Mm-hmm. So I don't think it's necessary but I do think, you know, if you want to find, like, like for me, it was enjoyable because, you know, I had the small space and it was just something to look forward to creatively and all that kind of stuff. But
1: it's just, it's it's really not necessary. <laughs> for the time it would take you to photograph an outfit and then do the editing, like you said, and list it and change and get it back on the hanger or packaged up in your inventory or whatever, like potentially you could have photographed six garments or eight garments in that time and listed them and then just by volume just by a numbers game yeah yeah more chances so yeah i mean i guess that's like we hear often that people sell on depop for crazy money um i don't know if that's actually the truth or if that's just like the word on the street but um and I, it, think, see, I feel like it's a word on the street
2: kind of I thing. I'm it like, I feel like I someone says it, and then everybody believes it, and you're like, yeah. well, let's do the math. And it's let's no, but
1: someone says it. I'm like, I don't know how they're commanding so much money. Where I feel like their main demographic is like 18 to 23 year olds. Who, yeah, that's what I don't understand. Like in their parents' basement, in some cases, you know what I mean. Like, I don't know. My kids don't. I mean, although sometimes kids have more money than when you are like a young professional and you finally move out and now. And yeah. now you're paying the bills. Like Anthony's, yeah, yeah. like, so my job starts starts in June, mom. He's moving to Pittsburgh and he's like, um, when do I have to take over my cell phone bill? And like, <laughs> is, the, is the weekly food allowance gonna stop? And I'm like- yes it is yeah you're a big boy now you have a job you know a
0: big boy job now (laughs) I
1: think he's like he calls us once a week he's like um health insurance like how long do I stay on yours I'm like he's working for a a, like a health company so like I'm like you're gonna have a better plan but like all those little things start coming up now in conversation and he's like worried about it and and I I feel his pain because I I remember making that transition Mm -hmm. at a young age and um but I also got married right away too. So I was like double income off the bat. Like I wasn't doing it on my own ever, you know? Um, so yeah, that, that, that is a different time. So.
2: Yeah. I feel like early twenties, it's like, oh yeah, you got this. You can do whatever you want. But yeah. Yeah. Then-
1: the reality
0: sets in
2: yeah.
0: <laughs> 25, 26 hits. And you're like, Oh, this is oh, okay. okay. My student loans kicking in now. Great. <laughs> On my own health insurance and everything. Yep. <laughs> so true. But yeah, I don't know. I don't know if D really, maybe it is. Who knows? I, don't I know, know nothing about it.
1: I,
2: know. I think there's like, there's people who, who have accomplished it, but I think it's so few far in between and you have like the following that you have to have, like you have to have a cult following and you have to have people that are just willing to just like spend
1: the money right then and there.
2: Like, but yeah, I think it's very, and I would also
1: think do. that you have to have certain pieces that are going to yeah. even draw that type of attention. It's not just going to be someone who looks cute in a band tee.
0: Right. Yeah, maybe I mean, Melville. Kind of like, of you know, it's not that life. kind of thing. Yeah. I mean,
1: yeah, and that's the other part that I just like,
2: I still I can't believe how far into this game I am. And I still don't understand how that concept works because like the majority of these people who have like such a curated closet, they're buying their items online. They're buying from us, you know, they're buying from the resellers to curate that look. So it's like they're spending you know, $50 on a sweater that they're going to flip for, you know, $150, which is still a good, like that's, that's a great, you know, profit margin, but they're doing, you know, to do
1: that so many times a day, like,
2: mm-hmm.
1: yeah. I think that's like, I just recently signed up for Amazon and I really can't answer any questions about it. Cause I have no idea. But the one thing that I learned like immediately is you have to pay to play like to get ungated, to ser- to sell certain things. It's like, well, you can do it the hard way and like earn Amazon's trust by being a good seller. And then you can maybe get ungated here or you can pay this dude 350 bucks and you'll be ungated by tomorrow at dinner. I'm like, what? <laughs> Seems fair. <laughs> and that's just in one category. And then it's like, well, if toys is different. And then even when you get ungated in toys, you still can't sell Hasbro or- yeah, yeah. yeah. Like it's, it's a beast. And then you're like placing these orders and you're buying in bulk and, you know. Meanwhile, I'm, I'm afraid like,
0: of vintage. <laughs> like, <laughs> is me? you're afraid of meanwhile, vintage. I'm afraid of vintage, so. <laughs> but
1: no, but I think to Laura's point is that sometimes like the people who are big in the game, like they have the capital up front to make these big investments and they, whether their profit margins are huge or not, like they're getting all the toys, you know, whether, yeah. whatever, whatever the shiny thing is that people are paying up for, they have access to it because they have the upfront capital and then they get it and then they sell it. And then it just, it just, it right, just snowballed
0: at that point. Mm-hmm. So true. Um I have a question for you, Laura, and uh, then we can wrap it up. But there's a lot of people that sell vintage and they say, I can't move it on Poshmark or I can't move it here. I can't move it there. I feel like when I think of vintage, I think of Etsy and I think of eBay more so than Depop. Is there one that's better than the other, in your opinion, because you've sold on both? Um, What's your perspective on that?
2: My perspective is it's whatever you're focusing on. Like my Etsy, when I focus and I list on there daily, it is fire. I can make a great living on Etsy. Mm. Whenever I focus on eBay and I'm listening on there daily, it's fire. Yeah. <laughs> so it's really, you know, wherever you're putting your energy into, I mean, I will say, I still think Poshmark has a little ways to go when it comes to, to vintage and all that kind of stuff. But I mean, I think it's the same for modern brands too you know there's just low ballers and it just gets annoying but
1: it's just part of the business
0: yeah so. i agree
1: i think that's a great answer because I, I believe that with with anything we talked about today whether you're putting attention on creating youtube or creating beautiful pictures or ebay etsy poshmark wherever, wherever your energy is like that's kind of where the money goes
2: yeah it,
0: yeah. Focus your time and energy and be consistent on that one thing that you want to be consistent at, you know, be really great at it and you'll see the rewards of it, just like mm-hmm. anything else in life. Yeah. 100%. Time or effort into anything and well, see what happens. A yeah. Gamble.
1: Well, this was such a great conference Do you feel good? Do you feel like, you know, this was good therapy and you- yeah, I do. To do I'm therapy. like- <laughs> <laughs> therapy I hope you guys took a lot of notes
2: and like (laughs) wrote down all my problems we can solve them next week
0: (laughs) (laughs) same time and place
1: yeah no you (laughs) seem like you're in a really great place Laura I'm excited for you
0: you're really happy and it's nice to see thank you yeah and I'm just waiting for your next YouTube video just saying
1: it's you know what it's
2: in the works I already got a game plan for it and everything so it's coming When- Is there any parting
0: um, words you'd like to say to our audience? Um, Not to put you on the spot or anything, you know?
1: Just- oh, I can't really think of anything. Uh- no pressure, just like a really meaningful quote that people will think about.
0: <laughs> yeah, right, like
1: no pressure. Just off the top of your head, yeah. Uh, list daily, that's all okay, I think. Okay, there you go, you heard it here, folks.
0: Laura said it right here on <laughs> Thrifters Villa, list daily. And have fun with vintage. Yeah, Don't be like me and have fun.
1: <laughs> Laura, thank you so, so much for joining us today. This was a great conversation. I know that Danielle and I were both really looking forward to yeah. chatting with you. Um, I'm glad we coordinated finally and got... <laughs> um, and it was great. It was so much fun to chat with you.
2: Yeah, thank you for having me. Of
0: course. You're welcome back anytime.
1: Anytime. Next week. No. <laughs> All right. Follow up next week, Vintage Part 2. <laughs> All right. Guys. 80% modern. Yeah. All right. Uh, thank you everybody for listening. We will see you next week.
0: See ya guys. Bye. Bye. Hey, everyone. Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode. This is just a reminder that Thrifters Villa's Patreon is officially live. You can find us on patreon.com backslash thriftersvilla. It is just $5 a month where we're going to offer you bonus content, extra episodes, a free downloadable a month, and live events. So make sure to check us out there and we will see you next week.